This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and your organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by 26 Digital, a full service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to destination marketing organizations and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. Dave Serino, Brian Matson, and the 26 team assist DMOs with developing measurable and successful digital marketing strategies through specialized solutions. You can learn more at 26digital, all letters, no numbers, 26digital.com. And now it's on to our show. Elliot Ferguson serves as the president and CEO of Destination DC, the official destination marketing organization for Washington, DC. A 30-year veteran of the travel and hospitality industry, Elliot leads DDC's efforts to generate economic impact for the district through meetings and tourism, overseeing the organization's convention and tourism sales, marketing, finance, and business development operations. Elliot began his tenure with DDC in December of 2001 as the Vice President of Convention Sales, became Senior Vice President of Convention Sales and Services in 2005, and has served as President and CEO since 2009. Prior to Destination DC, he was the Director of Sales and Vice President of Sales at the Atlanta Convention and Visitors Bureau and Director of Sales at the Savannah CVB. Elliot has just finished up his term as National Chair of the Board of Directors for the U.S. Travel Association from February 19 to February 21, where he guided the board and association's efforts to advance policies that facilitate more international and domestic travel. In January of 2021, he was named the board chair of Tourism Diversity Matters, a brand new organization focused on creating diversity, equity, and inclusion opportunities at all levels of the workforce. Elliot earned his Bachelor of Arts in Marketing and Business Administration from Savannah State University, and his many industry memberships include PCMA, Destinations International, the National Coalition of Black Meeting Planners, MPI, and ASAE. Elliot Ferguson, welcome to DMOU. Thanks, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, before we begin with your three questions and your bonus round, I got to ask, tell us how DC has been faring through not just COVID, but everything that has happened in your world in the past 12 months. You know, Bill, it's been really interesting. Um, you know, I, I think that um, when you think about when I moved to DC, as you referenced, I moved here in December 2001, right after 9-11. And um, as a destination in my time here, we've had you know, the repercussions of 9-11, we had sniper attack, we had uh, anthrax, numerous government shutdowns, and of course, this pandemic and then the insurrection. You know, D.C. is a resilient city. We're really working hard to get back on track. Um, I think the great juxtaposition of what happened on January 6th was what happened on January 20th, whereas all of us in Washington took a, a sigh of relief and said, what a great way to, to start a new administration and to showcase Washington as a destination. I won't sugarcoat it. It's been very tough. And um, we're continuously focusing on rebounding like so many other cities in the U.S. Well, it's an honor to share the mic with the man who leads the marketing of our nation's capital and with somebody that has not been shy about using that platform for way more than just driving business into your community, as we all should, honestly, through our DMOs, whenever we see injustice, incompetence, or liars in our midst. I saw a quote from you in a recent uh, article in Travel Pulse and you said addressing racism should impact how you lead. It's an American issue. As many are confronting these issues for the first time, we can't turn a blind eye and we can't turn back. The pandemic has forced us to slow down and focus on being human 
We need to be comfortable with uncomfortable conversations and having those discussions, not only at home, but also in the workplace. So here's my first question for you. You have very publicly acknowledged that our country continues to struggle with systemic racism. It's not the first time our industry has been deeply impacted by a crisis, but we continue to work collectively to rebuild and re-energize. What is your hope and vision for this brand new organization called Tourism Diversity Matters, and what will its lasting impact be on our industry? Well, our hope um, is a continuation of what um, I did um, during my term as chair of U.S. Travel Association, which is to continue to challenge the status quo, challenge the leadership to really focus and dig deep on some of the issues that are facing our industry as a whole. You know, we recognize that these are all these are problems in so many different components of the business in the U.S. But as you said, I've been in, in uh, the hospitality industry for 30 years, and I remember vividly some of the marginalization and some of the comments that were made when I entered this industry 30 years ago. And then I look at and see some of the things that have been happening, especially since 2020, tied to an inability to, quite frankly, recognize that these issues are not just issues within the Black community. And watching the death of of George Floyd, which we saw over and over again, is something that every Black American, male or female, takes personally because we see ourselves in that being a George Floyd um, simply because of the color of our skin. So then as you look at the industry as a whole and the fact that we always hear how diverse the hospitality industry is, and perhaps that is the case, especially at the lower level, you know, as folks are entering the industry. But then when you start looking in the C-suites and look at other opportunities, it's just not there. You know, when I entered this industry, there was one CEO of a destination management organization that looked like me. And that did not deter me. But, you know, now, 30 years later, they're, they're 10. And that's just not enough when you're looking at 700 DMOs. So yeah. tourism diversity matters, in my opinion, is an opportunity for us to really focus on making a difference, challenging organizations to make sure that they understand the dynamics of the disparities within the Black community, other communities, and are willing to offer opportunities within those organizations, or at least look at what they're doing now and do a better job of dealing with some of the unfortunate circumstances tied to racism. You know, I heard a um, webinar that you were on earlier this summer, post-George Floyd, and I was taken by the fact that some of the experiences that you've gone through as being not just a Black man, but a Black executive there's a ton of us probably in the in the white community that assumes that the the stories we hear about you know being pulled over while black in a car or being stopped on the street you know we assume that the majority of those are you know punks and thugs but it happens to you and that was i think a, a really compelling moment that you say this isn't just related to those who have a quote unquote certain hood look. It's you, right? Well, Bill, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that I can't tell you the number of friends around the world and around the country that have just referenced driving a nice car in a part of town and being pulled over and harassed simply because they could not possibly be the owner of that car. Exactly. It happened to my father. It has happened to me. It's happened to quite a few people. That, That marginalization And equally as much, the fact that we just have not talked about it. I would say arguably me coming into my office and sharing with individuals of a circumstance like that 
years ago would have been considered disruptive or I would have been considered disruptive. We were taught by our community, my family, as well as understanding what happens if I'm that person in the office place talking about these things that, you know, that nobody wanted to hear. And the fact that, quite frankly, that's not right. And I think that what happened last year, and, and you know, I was on an interview earlier and we were talking about what, what's the difference. The difference is, is that now everything is in social media. And so therefore, we're looking at these things. And as a black person, mm-hmm. I'm looking at what happened to George Floyd and what, what has happened to so many others. And I'm saying, yep, that could have been me. But I'm also looking at the fact that I perhaps have not done a good enough job in building relationships with people that have known me for years to understand that that could be me or perhaps how I react when I'm not around them. Because the superficial face that people see of me in my professional world is tied to making people feel comfortable, not making them feel uncomfortable and saying, you won't believe what happened to me yesterday when I was coming to work. Before we leave this first question, talking about Tourism Diversity Matters, brand new organization, tell us how it works. What's under the hood? What makes TDM different than the efforts that we're seeing from all of our industry associations to address the issue? How does TDM fit into that mosaic and where is it going? Yeah, we supplement all efforts that are in place by a lot of the members of our board um, that basically have processes that are in place. But at the same time, if we can influence and engage them to maybe think differently, um, because I think in corporate America, the first thing that a company will do is create a position for diversity, equity, and inclusion that has no access to the CEO. So our goal is to challenge some of the processes that are in place, give them some insight as to some of the things that might be missing. Also get them to understand that in some cases, when you're the leader of a company and you're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the people that work for you actually feel that you're the problem, that's a problem. So when do you realize that we're actually talking about you? Mm -hmm. So the goal is to dress and undress in terms of the things in which we talk about, give them guidelines as to some of the things in which we feel they should be focusing on as they are looking at making this a priority within their organizations. And then, of course, creating opportunities, either with people that currently work for them or bringing individuals into their organizations simply because if this is a priority, and let's just face it, if you're a millennial or Generation Z of whatever ethnic background or color, this is going to be a priority. This is not a black thing. A white young person coming into a corporate environment are going to look around and say, well, everyone here is white. I don't want to work here. I'm not comfortable. And getting folks to understand that the mentality has changed and shifted as generations have come into the workplace. Yeah, I was talking to a board the other day about uh, developing a set of values. And a couple people pushed back and say, oh, come on, that's just, you know, that, that's the soft stuff. And, and we want to get to the good stuff. And I went, what? <laughs> wait a minute. The people who are coming into the workforce, that's important. It may be soft stuff and, oh, yeah, whatever. It's a checkbox for boomers. But I got to tell you, <laughs> if you're in you know, Gen Z, you expect to see values that represent what's important to you. And I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So given the pandemic, the protests, the assault on the Capitol, and the inauguration, as I said at the outset, you've had an incredibly busy 12 months. Why were you compelled to accept the chair of Tourism Diversity Matters at this moment in time? After the series of conversations that we had uh, within U.S. Travel Association, whereas we had 2,000 plus people on these calls, and I started getting all these comments and compliments from people. Great job. I learned a lot, blah, blah, blah. 
And I started asking them questions. Well, so what's next? So what are you going to do different? They expect me to say thank you and take the accolades. But, you know, I'm like, no, that's that's not enough. I want to make sure that as you are complimenting me on what you heard or, or, or how it was put together, I want to challenge you as to, quite frankly, what did that mean to you? What have you learned? What have you done differently within your organization? So, you know, I knew that my term as chair is 24 months. Uh, it doesn't mean that I have to, to have all the answers within that time frame, but that was the question. What next? So when Mike Gamble approached me, and he's really been very much so focused in this space for a long time, and told me that he was bringing in Greg DeShields, I'm like, you know what? This is perfect. This is an opportunity for us to continue to challenge those that, quite frankly, may not know exactly what they should be doing yeah. and let them know that, hey, if I'm in India, I rely on our office in India to give me insight as to what's the best way of tackling the whatever I'm promoting or how I'm promoting DC, simply because I'm not Indian. So if you're not black, if you're not LGBTQ, if you're not any of these areas that have been marginalized or, or groups that have been marginalized, I don't expect you to have all the answers, but I do want you to understand that there is an expectation of recognizing and acknowledging that you don't have all the answers and then finding ways to be a better manager or a better leader. So tell us, for those who really haven't been picking up and following the news releases, tell us the role that Greg plays. Greg was a past uh, guest here on DMOU a couple of years ago and talked about all the great things that they've done with PHL Diversity. And he's now adding to his list of responsibilities the executive directorship of TDM. So tell us how that works. First of all, Greg's amazing. He is. You know, I had a chance to work with him when he was at Temple University. And subsequently, we had a lot of interns that we wound up hiring because he's really good at what he does. He's got a, a significant amount of passion for whatever he's focusing on. So when he went to PHL, clearly continued to watch and monitor and, and follow what he was focusing on. And like me and, and so many others, after last year and you know the continuation of making sure that we move in the right direction, there was no better choice than a Greg DeShield, someone who's in so many ways represents what we're trying to accomplish because of the way he has been marginalized in his life. But not only that, his expertise and his education and ability to communicate in a way where everyone feels comfortable being uncomfortable, which is not easy. <laughs> he's the right guy. He's strategic. He's tactical. He's great at communicating. And he has a myriad of resources and other people in his arsenal that we knew that he could bring into this conversation. So clearly from our perspective, he was hands down the right guy to be able to continue to do what he's been doing well for so long. What I was most impressed with is that TDM wasn't going to be just a quote unquote volunteer organization. You actually have somebody who every day wakes up and this is their job. Those are the kinds of organizations that get stuff done. As much as we love all the volunteer work that so many of us do and we admire others that do it, at the end of the day, other stuff gets in the way. And for Greg, this is going to be a daily part of his role. And what I, we loved about Greg and how we got him on, he, he was one of our first 10 uh, guests, was I was so impressed after doing some work with the CVB in Philadelphia that these pods, you know, they've got uh, their, their healthcare division, they've got their diversity division, they've got their sports division. And, you know, a lot of DMOs have a multicultural side to going out and trying to find multicultural conventions and events. But Greg just completely flips it on its head and says, that's not all. We need to prepare businesses in our community, in the neighborhoods, 
to become part of the broader hospitality industry and be part of meetings and conventions and catering and, and event planning. And it, he said, there are so many out there that have such a great product and a great experience, but they don't speak CVBEs. He goes, they don't understand what a DMO is. And he goes, that's our role is to make sure that we're ready. And I just went, wow, that kind of a 360 view is uncommon and, uh, and so needed. And so uh, congratulations for, uh, for hooking into Greg on that. That's going to be very, very cool. No, absolutely. I, and I appreciate your comments because you're spot on. I've already seen, as we've had our first TDM meeting this week, you know, and folks have been reaching out and saying, what can we do? What are you doing? What are you all focusing on? I'm like, well, first of all, we hadn't had our first meeting. <laughs> so now we've done that. And it, quite frankly, was an opportunity. I called it a, um, let's assume we're at a meeting in person and we're having breakfast and we're all sitting around talking and getting to know each other in advance. That's how we started the meeting. You know, I, I asked a couple of questions, you know, what are you trying to get out of this? And why is this important to you? And, and said, hey, you got 45 seconds for every single person to answer that, but answer it from the heart. Don't give me, with all due respect, we don't have time to talk about, um, give each other pats on the back. And it was a great opportunity for us to learn a lot more about those who have said that they wanna be a part of this. And it was an international group of people. And equally as much for us to learn more from them as to what we need to be focusing on based on what they're offering to us or really understand how little they know and how much we need to help them as they're a part of the board here. So it was a, a great way to start. And I think there are a lot of great things that are going to come in the future from, from these efforts. It's exciting that you're, uh, you're getting onto the ground and getting some stuff done because there was that, that flurry in June, July, and August. And, you know, papers were written and promises were made. Then all of a sudden in the fall, it just felt, and I, I had a couple of, of Zoom calls with clients who were concerned. They said, is that it? It's gotten kind of quiet. And I think it was because everybody got their marching orders, understood what was needed to be done, but then needed to do you know, the building blocks stage. And I think that's what was going on in the fall. And then all of a sudden, you know, DI comes out, uh, I think in November with the CEO pledge, and now TDM is here. And it's like, okay, <laughs> good. It, it didn't just be a moment. It was some serious, thoughtful planning that went on in the fall. But I got to tell you, there were, and maybe you felt the same thing. People thought, okay, it went quiet. What the hell just happened? And so now here we are. So to your third question, a lot of DMO CEOs have signed the Destination International CEO Pledge. Many have crafted responses to the need to publicly support diversity, equity, and inclusion. For those that are moving down this path, What's next? What would you advise as the next steps so this doesn't end up just being pretty words on paper? And how do DMOs make this just as important as you know the community shared value that so many of us have adopted? Yeah, it's, it's going to really be a matter of tackling this from the standpoint that for the most part, my peers are going to pledge and sign on to this because it's the right thing to do. They might even be sympathetic and understand to a certain extent what has happened and why this is important. But equally as much, they may not. And they may be saying what we need them to say in front of us uh, and then thinking quite differently when they're not around. You know, when, when I talked earlier about what's next, I can't just have these hour long conversations with all these amazing people and then that be it. And I feel like I'm like the preacher. 
on Sunday morning, everyone's on board and everyone feels good about what they do. And then they leave and they, they go back to their old ways. And I'm like, I don't want that to happen. I care too much about the industry. I care too much about, you know, the diversity of this industry as we move forward. So quite frankly, it is going to be more along the lines of you sign the pledge. What does this mean to you? Tell me more about yourself. Tell me about more about who you are as a person. And then let's talk to your teams, the people that work for you, in terms of how aware, or as the younger generation says, how woke are you in terms of some of the things that are happening? And quite frankly, are you the problem? Because I cannot tell you the number of people that work for my friends, that lead DMOs, Mm -hmm. that sign the pledge, that reached out to me, their employees, it says, please don't reference this, but my boss is the worst. He's the one patting you on the back, but he's not, they don't walk the walk of what they're saying. And that's my biggest concern. And that's what we've got to also focus on as we move forward. Well, it's interesting because there's another allied issue, you know, for all DMOs to succeed, we have to work on the weak links. I actually had the opportunity to moderate a panel uh, at ICA a year or so ago, where I had a meeting planner that always uses a DMO. I had a meeting planner that refuses to use DMOs. And you know why the meeting planner doesn't want to. It's because they've been burned a couple of times by bureaus that didn't respond uh, in, in a timely manner or didn't respond to their request by saying, look, I only want downtown hotels, and they put the bid out to everybody. I mean, those kinds of issues happen, and they make all of us look bad, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so, you know, we've been having that conversation for years, is how do we work with those, quote-unquote, rogue DMOs that don't play by the standards that we all aspire to? And I almost think that there's something here, too. Is there a way for us to try to, to encourage our peers to not be that person who doesn't walk the walk, who we catch them doing something or saying something. I mean, how do we make sure that those, those bureaus that are really not on board don't drag us all down? Well, um, that's a good question. And I, I think when you really think about it, it's the people that run the bureaus that are the problem. I mean, if, if, a, if a DMO is not good at what they do, in most cases, it's because the leadership is not aware or not tuned into what that organization is doing well or not doing well. You know, but CEOs are just not wired to be that vulnerable. That's the point. It's like we need to get them to a point where as they recognize and understand, one, the profitability and the, the happiness meter, if you will, in terms of how well balanced an organization is, is tied to how the organization is perceived by the people that work there. Companies that put diversity first are the most profitable and they seemingly are also the ones that come up higher on the list in terms of the the best places to work. Um, But it also ties into understanding who you are as a person. I'll never forget when I was about 25 years ago, I I was with um, one of my bosses and I said, hey, you know, I'm kind of curious. If you you were 15 and I were 15 and he was 15 years older than me at least, and you invited me over to your house as a teenager, would I be welcome? And he said, no. And he said it very matter-of-factly. But I appreciated him saying it that way. I said, well, I said, out of curiosity, why? He says, well, no, I, my grandparents were racist, and my parents weren't that accepting of people that weren't white, and blah, and he went on and on. I said, so, so tell me how that has affected 
you as a person. And he told me about all these great things that he learned from that and he's not like that. And I challenged him. I said, you know, I've worked with you for nearly 10 years and for 10 years, you've been to my house three times. I'm a VP. There are other VPs that have been to your house because I've heard you all talking about it. I said, I've never been invited to your house, never. And he turned beat red. He was embarrassed. But it was a learning opportunity for him. It's like, you think you are better, but your bias, for whatever reason, you have separated me from being someone who is welcome, even though I'm a vice president like everybody else. And so I wanted him to look at how I perceived him through my eyes. And it was a very intense moment because, again, people lose their jobs over stuff like that. And that is what we're trying to share moving forward with those who are saying, hey, oh, no, I could never say that to my leader. He's awful and he's a racist or he's all these things, but he's not willing to accept it. Hmm. I'm like, well, you're either going to move forward in terms of what's happening uh, within our industry, be marginalized, hopefully lose your job if you're not smart enough. But our goal is to help get you to understand and recognize the things that you may not even see in yourself, because it's extremely important if you're going to sign this pledge and say that you're part of the solution. You know, I think you make a great point that CEOs, anybody in public view, it's really hard to admit that you don't have all the answers or that you're not doing it right or that there's a problem. And I was uh, very impressed, and I don't know whether you saw it or not, but uh, Rockford's John Groh penned a piece a month or so ago for his local newspaper in which he said, I'm a work in progress. I'm learning and I will continue to learn. And I encourage you all to open up and you know, use fresh eyes and learn what this is all about. And I think that that says a lot about a guy like John or any of us to, to show that vulnerability and to prove that we don't have all the answers. And you know, it's one of the things I, that I've been preaching. And as you know, uh, Mike Gamble and I wrote the paper for DI uh, this summer about board diversity. I think it all starts at the top. It does. And we really have to focus. I mean, job one, I mean, we've got a lot of job ones coming out of COVID, but we really have to focus on making sure that our board reflects the ideals that we want uh, in our organization and in our CEO. And if the CEO doesn't match up with that, the board's going to make a move. But I think that without a board that is totally committed, there's a problem. And so that was one of the reasons that we penned that piece. And, you know, hopefully, I know it's hard because of board terms and because of the politics, but there's nothing more important than making sure that the head of the organization, which really is the board of directors, is diverse. We just recently had Patricia Washington from Alexandria on, and she said her board actually was pretty diverse and said, in our next leader, we want somebody who reflects what's important to us. And that's not saying anything negative about their previous CEO, but that they said, we have an opportunity now to find the CEO that reflects us. And we're going to do that. And that's that's exactly what we want, right? You're absolutely right. You know, I agree with Patricia 100%. When someone asks me about um, what's important in terms of leadership and diversity, one, I got to go in your office and see, I, I need to see a diverse team. That does not mean seeing people that look like me, but people from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. again, that have been marginalized for a variety of reasons. Two, your board of directors has to be diverse. Absolutely. Three, your marketing efforts have to, if you want them to be effective, be diverse. And you cannot have good marketing efforts that are diverse without having a circle of influence. And sometimes that's your marketing team. That's, that's others that look at this and say, hey, I'm curious as to what your perception is. And I've shared examples of of 
you know, more and more now in the last 12 months, I've seen more interracial couples in commercials. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. My father's interracially married. However, to the black community, if that's all we're seeing, that's not necessarily going to bode well with certain factions of the community because it's still, there's so many connotations tied to that. And you need to have someone that shares with you exactly what that means. And that goes for other areas. If you're selling products to the female community, and if you have females on your team, but they're of a certain age and you're trying to to attract this product to millennials, then perhaps you need to engage some millennials. They're just not smart enough to see that that is a huge part of the problem. And then they pat themselves on the back for what they did when everyone else is just attacking it. The latest iteration was the Aunt Jemima and, and Uncle Ben's, which has been around for a long, long time. And finally, after last year, that was enough to get them to change the direction in which they're going. Our football team in Washington, D.C., the owner said he'll never change. Finally, after FedEx and other corporations opted to pull their funding, which I would challenge, why didn't FedEx do that earlier? Now Mm -hmm. you see some traction. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's what happens when you don't have people around you that can help influence your decisions and get you to understand perhaps how you can be stepping on your yeah. own um, tail in some of the, the efforts that you think are, are positive and, and successful. And I couldn't agree more. And it makes me, as I'm sure it makes you crazy, when you look at advertising, print or visual or anything, and you just, and we instantly you know, go there in our heads going, the hell were they thinking? It's like, who vetted this ad? And my, the one that made me the craziest and bad on me, I never called the Atlanta airport and I should have, but it was the people mover in Atlanta that had some, one of those window ads. I'm sure they were very, very proud and checked all the boxes because all the images had a white person and a black person. But in all three of the images that was promoting their shops and restaurants, the black individual was the server and not the customer. And I'm going, oh, my God, yep. how could anybody let this thing go through the process? And yet it happens all the time. And so, you know, we always encourage our clients that regardless of who and how diverse the people who are creating your stuff is, you got to run it past somebody else. You can't think that, you know, we're the professional marketers and so we know best because coming from your own un conscious bias, you, you just don't see that stuff sometimes. And I mean, you know, I've trained myself to catch it every single time and most don't. And we have to, we have to change that. No, you're absolutely right. And, and equally as much, you have to run it by someone else that represents the market in which you're trying to attract or that will look yeah, at it yeah. to make sure that at least challenge what you're trying to accomplish and have you look at it through a different lens before it becomes an embarrassing moment yeah. for you. Well, we could talk all day, but I know you've got stuff to get to. I do as well. But I got to make sure that we get to your bonus round question. And <laughs> I remember the first time I saw you across the room at a Destinations International event. I remember saying to myself, damn, that guy has style. As one of the best dressed <laughs> DMO CEOs in the country, I have a very simple question for you. How do you look that good and you never check a bag on a plane? I mean, honestly, even on week-long international trips, I understand that you only pack a carry-on. Dude, what is your secret? Because I could never pull that off. Well, I will tell you that anyone that knows me, especially my team, they're probably going to roll their eyes when, I, when they hear this. But it's not that hard. First of all, thanks for the compliment. I will say that COVID has challenged all of that because all I wear now are sports clothes. 
But, right. You know, you, you just you don't need half the stuff you pack when you go out of town, first of all. Secondly, there's a way to mix and match things. And people will look at you on Monday and see you wear something, maybe a part of the same thing on Wednesday and not even realize it's the same thing. So the goal there is one, I used to say to my wife when we first got married and she'd pack all this stuff, I'm like, put everything you didn't wear in one pile, put everything you bought while we were on a trip in another pile, and then put stuff you wore in the other. And, and, and needless to say, the, the biggest pile was the stuff she didn't wear. Um, <laughs> and um, so if you need it, you can buy it when you're there, but it's a lot easier and it makes travel a lot a lot more efficient when you are traveling with carry-on luggage. So you're the Jack Reacher of tourism, right? You, you just buy what you need when you're there. <laughs> well, no, I try to pack what I think I'll need. I'm a minimalist, but also pack things that I know travel well, that are easy to, once you unpack it, you don't have to do as much to, to prepare it for the next day. And there are certain tricks along the way that you can, that you pick up that make it a lot easier. It gets a lot more challenging when you're in, in your eighth or ninth day. And I hear people say, I get tired of wearing the same thing. I'm like, well, so do I. But I get tired of waiting for your bags <laughs> right. at the airport. If I had a choice between the two, I'm going to go with, um, with with being a minimalist in terms of packing. Well, you've added a brand new goal for me because I usually have the biggest bag, even on the shortest trips, because I just haven't figured out how to make that all work. So I'm, I'm going to try to be a minimalist going forward as we get back on airplanes and see if I can pull that off this year. You know what? We'll send you an article that was that was done um, in, in the Washington Flyer magazine at, at Dallas Airport. I got so many calls and, and comments from people saying, I learned so much more about how to pack. Uh, because again, the, the biggest frustration about travel is the, the stress of whether your bag made it or not, and or waiting for your bag to show up. And um, right. it's just it's just not worth it. And, you know, interestingly, during the pandemic, I've only flown a couple of times um, since last March, but in each time I found, at least on Delta, because Delta continues to you know, block the middle seat. So I thought the protocols at check-in were great. The protocols going through TSA were good. On the plane, I felt good. And it all just goes to hell when you get to baggage claim. Everybody just races the belt. Right? And all the, all the distancing, just it's out the window because everybody has to get their bag. So you're absolutely right. And, and to your point with COVID, that's one less area of yeah. con- of contact that you have. If you can just pass by all of that, go to the bathroom, wash your hands, do everything you need to do and then get out of the airport. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for leading the charge at U.S. Travel and now with TDM. You have a voice that compels us all to be better. And I wish you the best with TDM. And please don't hesitate to tell us how we can continue to advance the cause And you are welcome back to this microphone to spread your word whenever you'd like. Thank you so much. I look forward to coming back in the future and and enjoy this great weather. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's coming. It's coming. It is coming. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. And thanks, too, to our sponsor, 26 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to the destination marketing organization and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. You can find more on them at 26Digital, all letters numbers.com. DMO Pros is where you will find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, our book, Destination Leadership, our position papers on a new vision for community marketing and board diversity, along with the biggest DMO job board on the planet, and of course, links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMO Pros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>